What is the church? What should it look like? And what has it been called to do? In this series on the foundation and future of Cornerstone, we answer these questions and seek to carve out a biblical path forward for being the church in Southampton Roads. The following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Verse 14 writes this, I, am, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be a service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with my joy, excuse me, with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we uh, have spent a great deal of time now in thinking about what the church really is. We've attempted to lay a strong foundation, a biblical foundation, a theological foundation that will guide us in our thoughts, that will correct us in our thoughts. Because many of us have come to Cornerstone, we've come to your word with very wrong ideas about what it means to be the church Ideas more influenced by our culture and our upbringing than by your word. And hopefully now at this point, Father, while we recognize that we are still learning and growing and, and changing and, and coming to a better and fuller and deeper understanding of your word, hopefully by now we have at least seen what it is you've asked us to do. You have left us on this earth as your body so that we can, through your spirit, through your empowering, proclaim Jesus to everyone so that everyone, as many as you call unto yourself, can be made like Christ, forgiven by his blood, 
and redeemed, glorified to be with you forever. And so we want to be good stewards of that ministry. We want to be faithful in it and complete it and do it. And we, we have plans and we have thoughts and we have dreams, but they're just ours. And, and ultimately, we're concerned with you. And so as we come today to this, to this message and as we talk through some very practical components of, of what all of this has meant for us as we come now to the end of this series, I pray that you will give us hearts that are humble and hearts that are wise hearts that are sensitive to your spirit, to your leading, and that are willing to wait on you when the time is right to wait and willing to work hard when the time is right to work. Help us, Lord, to be faithful with this ministry that you have entrusted to us. We thank you for it, and we thank you for this time. Please bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. It is uh, probably goes without saying that there is a, a balance as you think about ministry between human planning and the Spirit's leading. Um, That's probably obvious to every single person in this room, and yet we want to make sure that's very clear that as we've talked about all these things and as we've laid out thoughts and ideas and stuff for the future, we always have to keep certain realities in balance. And that's why I brought you here to to Romans chapter 15, because Paul does a very good job of, of laying that out here. You see in Paul's life and ministry, an example of someone who was active in planning for ministry and someone who also at the same time was very sensitive to the Spirit's leading. And so as you look in this passage, you see a number of things that indicate that Paul very clearly had a plan. For example, he very clearly wanted to reach one specific group of people. Who was that? The the Gentiles, okay? So you see it here in verse 16. He says here that he wants to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And this isn't the only place he says this. He repeats this concept over and over and over again that he has a target audience. His ministry, as he envisions it, if he was going to put it on a whiteboard and lay it out for you, is is built around the concept of reaching this particular people group. So he's got a, a specific group of people he wants to reach. Second, he focused on a very specific area of the world. He says it here in verse 19. He says, from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, he had fully preached Christ. That, that's basically a, 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 a crescent from the area of modern-day Israel to, to modern-day Greece. Okay? If you can imagine that northeastern part of the Mediterranean world, that was, that was his target. He didn't go straight north up into Russia, modern-day Russia. He didn't go east over toward uh, India and those places. He, he had a specific target area, and he worked that area. The whole book of Acts is basically him working that area going around, hitting those different regions, trying to proclaim Christ in all those spots, not going to other places where he very well could have gone. And then three, and this isn't here in Romans 15, but if you're familiar with Paul's ministry, you'll know what, I'm gonna, you'll know what this means. When he went into those areas, he didn't just go up to the first village that he found and start preaching Christ, which he certainly could have done and it would have been good to do. Where did he typically target? He, he typically went after the big cities the population centers of those regions. And so there's a reason that he goes to Ephesus. It's because if he he can go to Ephesus and if he can preach Christ there, and if a church can be founded there and he can leave it to work on its own, that church can then go out into all the, the little towns, the hundreds of villages, no doubt, that were all around that region and preach Jesus in all those places. It's not that it would have been a waste of time for Paul to have tried to personally go to every one of those villages and do that. It just wasn't the most efficient use of his time for what he was called to do. And so as you see him going to Corinth, 
You see him going to Colossae, Ephesus, all these other cities, Philippi. There's reasons that he's choosing these towns. They're strategic places. They are population centers within the regions that they're in. And so in all of these things, you see Paul working a strategy that I think is just a smart one for what he was called to do. But but at the same time, as we say all those things, we realize that Paul was clearly led by the Spirit as well in ministry, was he not? I mean, so he's trying to reach the Gentiles. And yet, it's not like he walks into a town and he sees a Jew and he's like, okay, can't talk to you. I got to focus only on the Gentiles because that's what my, my mission says. No, he talked to everyone, didn't he? Whatever the Lord brought in his path, whoever the Lord brought in his path, that was who he spoke Christ to. And even sometimes he, he goes into towns and first place he goes is the synagogue. He goes in and specifically talks to the Jews and is often rejected and leaves and goes and works with the Gentiles in those cases. So he, he's willing to speak to anyone. He's not so bound to his plan that he can't talk to people not within his target. Uh, not only that, but as you think about his area, you see something in Romans 15 that you don't hear about anywhere else in the New Testament. And that is now at this point, his ministry is kind of like, well, I fully preach Christ in this area. Where do I want to go next? And he chooses where? Spain. I mean, it's a, you think about it. If you, for those guys in here or girls who have been in the Mediterranean and the Navy and you've made that trip from, from Israel over through Spain and back out into the Atlantic, you probably think, well, it's not that far. But if you're on a mule or foot, <laughs> that's a... That's quite a journey. I'm assuming in this that the Spirit must have been working something in his heart where he's like, you know what? I, I need to go to Spain. And on my way there, I need to, I need to stop in Rome because I've never been to Rome yet either. I want to meet these Christians that I'm writing to, this church that I'm writing to here. And so he's got these plans, and I think the Spirit's working in that. And then I often think of, uh, as he's being led by the Spirit, I realize the fact that his plans were often sidetracked by what? Anyone guess? Prison. I was going to do this with sad face. Okay. He, he, he was in prison a lot. And, and think about this and be careful how you answer this question. It's kind of a trick question. I'll, I'll, I'll warn you up front. Was prison, did, did his time in prison alter his plans in ministry? Yes or no? Now everybody's like, I don't answer. What? Oh, yes and no. You got the right answer, actually. It is yes and no. Because from his human planning perspective, he was planning to go to city A. The only problem was he got put in jail. So his human plan was messed up. It did alter his plan, yes. And yet, what did he do when he got in jail? He's just proclaiming Christ. Because remember, his human plan is not ultimate. The ultimate plan is Colossians 1, 28 and 29. I'm going to work with all the energy God gives me. I'm going to proclaim Christ to everyone so I can present everyone perfect in Jesus. And so, oh well, the, the, the travel agency will have to give me a refund. I can't go here because now I'm in prison. I'm proclaiming Jesus. It doesn't change what he does. Wherever his location happened to be, he could just roll with the punches because as the Spirit makes these moves for him, he just keeps doing what it is he's been called to do. And so there's, there's a balance as we think about human planning and being led by the Spirit. It is clearly, I think, self-evident, I think, that it is good and right to plan. In ministry, I'm talking about, it is good and right to plan. We, we do it in every other realm of life. Why wouldn't we do it here? It is good and right to plan, yet always remembering and always keeping in mind that the Spirit is 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 supreme in this 
that God's plan is more important than ours. Josh Stonehouse, for those of you who remember him, he had a great saying, and don't ever, ever tell him I quoted him publicly. (laughs) I will never hear the end of it from him if he knows that I quoted him. Josh, Josh had a great quote for this. He said, my plan is always plan B. And what he meant by that was, as we think about our lives and we've got the next 5, 10, 15 years planned out, whether it's career, family, whatever, our plans start as plan B. That's the beginning point. There's no, they're not plan A and we keep a plan B in the back pocket just in case plan A doesn't work out. No, no, no. Our plans are always plan B first because whose plan is plan A first? Okay, God's plan is plan A first. We always start at plan B, and as we think about all the stuff we've been talking about over the last few weeks here at Cornerstone, I want you to understand it's all plan B. Is that clear? Whatever the Spirit does, He does, and we want to be sensitive to that and follow Him, but we do want to plan. And so what I'm going to be doing today is laying out some practical action items. I am, I'm personally big on this. I, I hate going to meetings where I don't walk out with some, some action items or some things like, what's the point of meeting if you don't do anything, right? So Ed's laughing at me back there because he gets irritated to death at me with this sometimes. But uh, what's the point of meeting if you're not going to come up with a plan, some things to do, put some, put some feet to it? We've done all this talking now for weeks. What things can we start to do? And so what I want to do this morning is give you six action items for us as a church, but understand something very careful or very important, I should say, about these six things. The six action items I'm giving us are a mix of of two things. They're a mix, one, of looking at where we're at right now, okay? What our purpose is, uh, what the Lord is doing, just, just the stuff that's happening today, not, not a year from now, not five years from now, not 10 years from now, what's happening today and responding to those six, those things, at the same time saying, okay, if this is our vision, this is our long-term desires, how can we position ourselves well so that if the Spirit works and he, he does these things, if, if this is his plan, if that's plan A in fact, how can we prepare ourselves now for those things? Okay, Does that make sense? So we're, we're responding to where we're at today, but thinking ahead to the future. Everybody got it? Here are your six action items. Number one, and these are very, very practical, as you will see. Number one, we want to hire Jordan full-time. Uh, Jordan, uh, wait, Mark, where are you at? It's your moment. Mark's his boss. No, <laughs> nope, he's just shaking his head. It was uh, a few weeks ago. We've been talking about this for a while now, and we were realizing that we were going to say this publicly for the very first time, and we're like, well, you should probably like alert Mark that before I say this publicly, he's heard it. So he has a meeting with him several weeks ago, and he says, hey, just so you know, we don't have a specific plan in place yet, but Stacy's going to stand up and say, we want to, we want to hire me. And so about a week later or so, I think it was uh, after a service one Sunday, Mark comes up to me and he goes, Hey, don't you think you should check with current management first? <laughs> and for just a moment, I'm, I'm, I'm confused. And then it hits me what he's talking about. And I'm like, well, not really. Cause it's kind of a hostile takeover. And he looks back and he goes, Oh, it's going to be hostile. Uh, Sorry, thank you for your grace and kindness right now. We, we, we want to hire Jordan full-time. And, and here, we're not making a plan to make an offer to him right this moment. We're just letting you know what the desires are. Let me help you get what's going on right now. 
right now at Cornerstone, the way things are, are operating today and trending still to the future, there is too much work to be done for one person, one full-time person, that is. It's just, it's not that, like, I'm feeling overwhelmed because I'm not. I'm just not doing stuff. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to do A, B, we're going to leave C, we're going to work on D, and everything else can wait, okay? That's just how it's, it's functioning right now. Lots of stuff just goes undone because there's no one to do it. And, and we really need to take a, a step and, and bring on a second full-time person just given the growing numbers and complexity and, and logistics and all the stuff that makes up Cornerstone, all the community groups, it just keeps getting bigger and it's harder and harder to manage. Um, most of you, are, well, not most of you, some of you in this room at least would be familiar with Tim Keller, the name Tim Keller. Keller uh, wrote a great article about church size dynamics and what he's doing in the article, I've mentioned this before, he, in, in the article he's He's explaining the differences between churches of different sizes. He's not saying that one's good, one's bad. He's just saying, what's the difference between a church of 40 people and a church of 200 people and a church of 400 people? Because they're all different. They function differently. There's different complexities and components to them that you have to think through. And he also talks about some of the transitions that occur in churches as they go between these different sizes. And so he would define us as being a small church, okay? That's 100, excuse me, that's 40 to 200 in his little system. And he says, as a church begins reaching that 200 number, it, one of the things they have to do if they're going to continue functioning well is they have to bring on more staff. It's just, it's just a necessity because things are, are beginning to get more than what a single person can handle on their own. And, and it's easy to read. You know, was, I read that probably three years ago and I'm like, oh, okay. And now here we are three years later. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> that he was, he was right. We, we need to do this. We need to bring him on full time. Um, some of you may have been wondering why he was never in this picture. Uh, my wife, as sensitive as she is to things, she's like, do you think you hurt his feelings by not putting him up there? And I said, no, there was a reason I didn't put him up there. It's because if we hire him, he's going to stay with me. See, there he is now. He was always there. He was just kind of behind me, but he would stay with me. We want to bring him on as soon as possible, but of course, here's the problem. We, we need some money uh, to do that. And, and I, I want to make sure I say something here that hopefully will come across right. We make it a point to not ask for money for ourselves as much as we possibly can. In fact, in the past five and a half years, to my knowledge, there's only been one time we ever did, and it was for the for the building, and you guys gave tremendously for that, and we're so thankful for it. I'm asking again for, for uh, this decision, for this, this hire to happen. We need to increase our, our basically our annual budget by about $50,000. Now, I say we need to increase it. Actually, I'll tell you guys a very interesting little fact, because I like facts, and I bore you with my facts every now and then. We just had the best quarter of giving that we have ever had in Cornerstone's history, just regular giving, no special gift, no, we're talking regular weekly giving. We brought in $70,000 in the first quarter. Now, if that were to continue, then how much money would we have at the end of the year? 280. Our budget was only 230. Look at the difference. It's $50,000 right there. If, if our giving stayed exactly where it is right now, and no one gave an extra penny more, but you get, get we could, we could hire Jordan tomorrow. I could tell him, say, call Mark, put in your two-week notice, right? We could do it. But we don't know that that's going to happen, and we don't. <laughs> oh, you <did>. okay. <laughs> we'll talk later. Maybe he'll give more, and he can hire himself. 
Yeah, whatever, we'll work it out. Uh, if we could be confident that it would stay where it is today, we could bring him on now, but we just don't know, and we don't want to risk his salary. Sue particularly doesn't want to risk his salary off of things we're not certain about. Um, we, we, we want to do this as quickly as possible. Jordan apparently is so interested in this himself that in the bulletin today, he put two times worship through giving. <laughs> Did you notice that? Or was that purposeful? You've got to be a little more subtle than that, okay? I know you want, I know you want to start. Don Jameson showed me that before the service. I hadn't noticed it yet. I'm like, oh, that's perfect. Oh, that's just perfect for the Sunday. Uh, yeah, we, we, we really want to bring him on as quickly as possible. If, if we can't do it in the, in, right off the bat in the monthly budget, I would, I'm praying that God would put it in someone's heart just to pre-fund his position for a year. I know that's crazy, and especially in a church like ours, but I don't know what God might do. For us to be able to bring this person on and really begin to take this step to, to better steward what God is doing here at Cornerstone today and to begin to prepare us for the future. We, we think this is an important step. They were very not looking forward to this part, portion of the service. I'll be done with it. We want to hire Jordan full time. Number two, this is a quick one. It's time for us to reintroduce deacons into the mix of, of Cornerstone. In 2011, the end of 2011, we made some changes constitutionally, organizationally, and we did away with deacons temporarily so that we could kind of better figure out what it was they were, <laughs> what they were supposed to be doing, uh, how they were supposed to function within the overall scheme of, of what Cornerstone is. Well, we, we've had some time, we've worked through it, we need to work through it a little bit more, but the fact of the matter is, is that we need, as elders, as an elder team, need to begin to share the load of ministry out in some very practical ways more and more. We already do that to an extent. We just need to, to do it more. And so over the next few months, our desire is that we will be coming to you and saying, hey, look, we have appointed so-and-so to serve as the deacon of such-and-such -such for a certain amount of time, okay? Just to let you know that the elders choose those people and, and will uh, let you know what's going on, but to have men who are sharing, uh, people who are sharing the burden of ministry with us. They won't be decision makers. That's why we don't vote on them as a church. They're not the leaders of the church, so they don't, they don't get to make decisions about what goes on, but they are servants of the church designed to help us manage well what God, what God is doing here. So that's a pretty easy one. I won't spend any more time on that. Number three, practical thing we can do, it's time to call some new elders. It, it's interesting to me that over the past uh, four years, from 2009 to 2013, our church has increased in size from about 70 people a week to 190 people a week. <laughs> so someone quickly do the math in their head. What percentage increases that? 100 and what? 10? Something? I don't know. doesn't matter. 100 and what? 200%? No. All right, do your math later. I don't know. I'm not a math guy. I'm just the, I'm just the mouth and the good looks. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we, we've increased quite a bit in our weekly attendance. You know how much we've increased in our elder team? We went from three in 2009 to four today. It's not the same percentage increase, whatever the difference is. We, we need to call more men to pastor this church with us. And, and as I say that to you, our desire is that we would really shepherd well. Like, I don't know what you think of when you think of a pastor, and I'm afraid that there's too many people in this room, despite everything we say to the contrary, that still consider me the pastor of Cornerstone. I am not the pastor of Cornerstone. I am a pastor of Cornerstone. You have four pastors, four shepherds, 
And, and when you think about what a pastor is supposed to be doing, it's not primarily this. This is not, this is not what defines being a pastor. What defines being a pastor is shepherding souls, caring for souls. The scariest verse in the Bible to me is Hebrews 13, 17, where he tells the people, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Because they are watching over your souls as those who will give an account. And so someday, Ed and myself and Chris and Jordan, we're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to say, what about so-and-so? How do we give an account for all these people? I don't even... Most of you, I'd only see you on, on Sunday morning for an hour, and I might have like a quick word with you in the hallway. I don't know what's really happening in your life, but I, I know what's happening in some of your lives because we're together, and, and Ed knows what's happening in some of your lives, and Chris knows what's happening, Jordan knows what's happening in some of your lives, and as a team, we shepherd, we care for, we pastor this body. Well, even with the four of us, <laughs> it's, it's not enough. We can't shepherd every soul. And as the church keeps growing, it becomes worse and worse. We, we lose more people in the sense of letting them slip through the cracks and not really being in their life, not really knowing what's going on. And so we need to, as a church, look around the room and go, okay, who is shepherding now? Who, in whom do we see the qualifications and, and heart of pastoring, of people who are pastoring right now? Now, if we really believe that the church grows bottom up, not top down, we're not just like, okay, well, you look like you're very organized and, and you don't and you are and like we're going to like pick randomly from the top. No, no, no. We need to look around us and say, who, what is the Spirit doing? And when we see men who are actively shepherding the, the people and the lives around them, the families around them say, God's at work. God's at work. Church, see, God is at work. Let's, let's call this man to, man to the task of, of shepherding and pastoring this church body. The fact of the matter is we have a number of qualified men already here at Cornerstone, men we've been pouring into now for a couple of years, and we're ready to see those men called to be elders. And so over the next few months, our expectation is that we'll be able to come to you and, and say, church family, here is so-and-so. We've watched them. We've trained them. We've looked at their lives. We see how they live and minister now. We're just simply recognizing what the Spirit's doing. We want you to recognize it with us and call this man to pastor this church. That's the, the third item on our list. Number four, get ready for this one. It's time for us to start thinking about and talking about two services. Notice I said it's not time to go to it. <laughs> That we're, we're, we're throwing this out now just to start a conversation. We're not there just yet. But as we look at what's happening here around us at Cornerstone, the reality of the matter is, is we, we need to start talking at least. I mean, the Lord may not make this a, a necessity, but it's something to at least begin preparing our hearts and minds for. When we first started thinking about this, we, we were very, um, very adamant, at least, uh, well, yeah, I'd say we, we as a group were very adamant that we didn't want this conversation to be about two specific things. Number one, we did not want it to be about comfort only, as in, well, we're feeling really tight in some of the classrooms and we need to make more room. And, you know, we didn't want it to be that conversation. Number two, we didn't want it to be about convenience, as if we're trying to work around people's schedules to be more palatable to them. So, you know, if you had a late Saturday night and you want to come, you know, sleep in on Sunday morning, we'll go to the 11 o'clock. That way we get lots of rest. Or... Oh, we want to be home for pregame, so let's go to the nine, you know. That, 
That's not what we're looking for because that's just not our heart. If we were going to pursue this or have this conversation in any way, shape, or form, it needed to be a conversation that was based on the convictions that are the foundation of Cornerstone. How do we present everyone perfect in Jesus? What things do we need to do? I, I will say, though, that in the time since we started having that conversation, the, the comfort one has come up again and again uh, as a little bit more uh, realistically pressing in certain ways. For just, uh, just a couple of Sundays ago, three Sundays ago now, back in that three and fours classroom, the one in the corner, we had 23 three and four-year-olds in that room. That's not including the teachers. There were three teachers to manage that. There were so many kids, they had to dump all the toys out of those green bins, turn them upside down, and make a table out of the green bins. I wish I had a picture of that to show you. Um, On Easter Sunday, we had 240 people in here. It was our our biggest service ever. But it showed me something about, uh, about just our space. That Sunday was very skewed in terms of the percentages. Normally, this... Again, boring facts. Normally, if, if we had 100 people here on a Sunday, 53 of them would be sitting in this room. The other 47 would be out there. Okay, now that's really weird. If you look at most churches, they don't have that nearly 50-50 split in terms of people in the auditorium versus people not. But if it was 100 people, about 53 would be in here. 47 were out there. On Easter Sunday, we had 240 people. 146 of them were in here. Only 94 were out there. The percentage wasn't right as compared to average. If it had been right, we would have had 130 people out there. Every single kid's room would have exploded. Walls have been falling down. Several teachers would have have left and screaming in tears out the building. It would have been 276 people total if if those percentages had been more correct. And I'm going, oh, wow, it felt tight on Easter. Can you imagine 130 out there in that format. I'm not saying that those, again, are our motivating factors. I'm just recognizing that we're, we're pushing up against some walls, particularly out, out there, and I mean that literally. We are pushing against walls in some of those rooms now. I don't have all the answers to this, and I'm not suggesting that this is the right course of action or not. We don't know just yet. We're trying to understand it, but if we're going to pursue a larger plan for reaching more and more people in Hampton Roads, How we go about doing that is very, very important. If we want to start a second location at some point in the future, the best place to start that is here, where it's cheaper and easier and all can be taken together. We can take practical steps here to begin really creating two different groups that one could just be sent out eventually to to reach another area. There's lots of components to this, lots of things. I'm not trying to scare you with it. I'm just simply saying... It's time we start thinking and talking about these things and seeing what the Lord may do. Number five, we need to fill all of our service needs, every single one of them. And we can't do anything really apart from that. We have gaps in our service right now that we need filled. For example, we need, we need people to fill in and guess where? Children's ministry. It's always the one you have to say, right? I, I was looking back um, on Father's Day 2011. It was June 19th. I, I, we took that Sunday to emphasize our children's ministry. And on that Sunday, I laughed at this when I looked at it this week. On that Sunday, I said, here's where we were two years ago, 2009. Here's where we are now. In 2009, we, we had two classes for all children ages 2 to 12. Okay, there was one class for 2s and 3s, one for 4 to 12. In 2009, we had about four kids going to children's church total, ages 4 to 12. 
In 2009, we had one nursery. In 2011, at that time, we wanted to take a really bold step and go from two classes from, for the 2 to 12 group to three. Three classes for 2 to 12s. And we, we were doing that because now, instead of four kids, we were having like 15. Well, 2013, we have four classes already going for that same age group, and it's not uncommon for us to have 30 to 40 kids just in the 4 to 12 group. I mean, it just continues to expand out there. That's why the building is designed like it is. It's about, they have as much square footage as we do because this is an area where God has just blessed us with lots and lots of children. And with lots and lots of children comes the need for lots and lots of children's workers. And so we have specific needs right now. And on the, the, in the vestibule, I set up a table. Jordan made the sign-up sheets. And we have the specific number of slots we need filled in our children's ministry. Same for nursery, which we treat a little bit separately, even though they go together. We have specific needs in nursery. We have specific needs for ushering. We could use more people in music. We could use people to, to, to I like what Ed calls himself. Ed's been helping Al out with the uh, coffee bar. He calls himself Al's Little Bit, B-I-T, barista in training. So uh, we need some more little bits, all right? We need some people out there learning with us. We need people in all these different areas, if we're really going to be able to continue managing what God is doing here, we need everyone involved. And here's what we don't want. We don't want the people who are already helping in three and four things to sign up again. We want the people who are helping in zero things or one thing to sign up and spread this out so that we together as a group can manage it. And then number six, and I'm, I'm kind of going quickly now, I apologize. We need to retool our community groups a little bit emphasize them and retool them a little bit. Now, this is one actually we've already started. We started this about a year ago, really, probably in earnest, making some changes in how we understand them and how they function and trying to be more intentional and making our community groups genuinely about the communities in which they live. Uh, as you think about, as you think about you know, what church is and isn't, we say it's not about an event. We don't want you just showing up on Sunday. That doesn't just make you a part of the church because you come to this Sunday event. Well, in a similar way, just because you show up at a Wednesday night event doesn't make you a part of a community group either. We want you to really be a part of the family, the, the, the family, the community that represents Jesus as part of Cornerstone all around this area. Our community groups are like, they're the fobs of, of, of ministry. They're the forward operating bases of ministry. They're the ones that are out there in the places where we all live proclaiming Jesus. And the purpose of our community groups is no different than the purpose of of our church as a whole. They are there to work with all of the energy that God gives them to present, proclaim Christ to everyone so that we can present everyone perfect in Jesus. So that's happening in Red Mill. That needs to be happening up in Great Neck, the oceanfront area. It needs to be happening over on Salem Road, Lynn Haven area, out in Chesapeake, and all the places where our community groups are functioning. We need to be living life with this purpose in mind growing in the five core values, growing in truth, learning to love God passionately, being a real community with each other, not just showing up at an event, serving the body, serving the community group, serving the community that we, we live in, and most importantly, living on mission in all these places, proclaiming Christ in all of these places. This is where the growth of Cornerstone future needs to happen. Why do most people come to our church? You don't answer it out loud, but just think about it for a second. Most people who find Cornerstone do so just randomly, okay? Put in quotes, randomly. 
they Googled us online. They just moved to the area or whatever. Maybe they just decided to go. So they Google us and show up on a Sunday and they stick. Okay. Or a slight difference to that one is they get invited by someone they know. And so they come and visit and, and they stick. And that's great. I'm thankful for every person God brings in in that way. But a lot of that growth, a lot of that growth is, is, is transplant growth. It's just other believers coming from other churches, maybe in San Diego or somewhere else. And, and again, happy for that. But, but we're a hospital, not a hotel. Remember? We, we need to see unbelievers coming to faith in Jesus and Cornerstone growing because of that. I'm always, we're always going to have the transplant growth, and we're going to send out transplant growth too. Okay, it's, it's, You guys get moved away to different places. You're going to plug into churches, and that's huge. That's a blessing to the body of Christ. But, but we want to begin seeing growth happening in the unbelieving world around us as people come to a knowledge of the gospel, a realization that, that God is angry with them because of their sin and that Jesus died to pay for that. That their only hope is Jesus, that all they have is Christ, as the song said a minute ago. We want to see that happening more and more, and that's probably not going to happen primarily today. I'm not saying it won't, but it, it won't primarily happen on Sunday mornings in a service. That'll primarily happen on Monday afternoons and Tuesday mornings and Wednesday nights as you in your community of believers that live around you in the various parts of of Hampton Roads are mixing and mingling with those with whom you live and work and go to school and you are proclaiming Christ and the Spirit gives fruit. And we begin to see these unbelievers go, what is this? I have never seen a church like this because every other church I, I know is, is wanting to build up Sunday and this is it. Da, da, da. And you guys, are just, you guys are just talking about this guy Jesus and what he's done for me and showing that you really love one another. Wow, it's almost like I can tell you're really his disciples. John 13, 34 and 35. That's what we want to see growth. That's how we want to see growth happen. And so as you consider all of these six things, okay, and and we're just throwing stuff out. Practical things we spent some time thinking about that we want you to think about as well. We recognize that all six of them, we're trying, excuse me, to make all six of them based on where we're at right now. Just right now, looking at what's going on, looking at trending, looking at, at, at what we see the Spirit doing, what we think we see Him doing, but at the same time saying, okay, how can we take practical steps to position ourselves better for the future? But, but these are just our plans. These are not plan A. Every single thing I've said to you is plan B, minus hiring Jordan. Everything else is plan B. And as your pastors, as your leaders, what we are trying to do is as humbly as we can and as wisely as we can take practical steps for the long-term health and growth of Cornerstone. We want to steward what God is doing here well. And I'm not saying we've done that well, we're doing it well. I'm just saying that that's what we're trying to do the best we can, what we're trying to keep all the stuff, you know, in balance between our plans and the the Spirit's work. What can you do today? I'm going to give you four things and we're done. Number one, and this is not a trite comment, we desperately, desperately, desperately need to pray. it's, It's interesting to me that you cannot look back in church history and find one single great work of God that wasn't bathed in prayer. You look at any revival, 
any church that was really used by the Lord, every single one of those events, churches, groups, movements, whatever, you, whatever it was, bathed in prayer. We need to pray. I w- I, you need to pray for us. I was so encouraged this week by something I heard. One of the community groups was having a conversation about all this stuff, okay? And they were talking about it. And it sounded like it was a great conversation. People asking questions and going back and forth. And, and it was like for the first time, some people were going, wow, there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes of, of, of Cornerstone than what we see on Sunday. It's easy to just show up and be like, oh, this is Cornerstone. Da, 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 I'd be happy. No, we need to be thinking big and dreaming big and recognizing that the mission God has given us is big. And some of you, I think maybe for the first time, and I'm really excited about this, are starting to understand that and see that. Praise the Lord. And this conversation that they were having in the community group was kind of built around that, like, wow, there's all this stuff, and I had never considered this and that. And one person said, boy, we really need to pray for, for, the, for the elders. And I was like, thank you. Oh, thank you. That encouraged me. And I'm begging you, please pray for us. Pray for each other. Pray for us as a church that God will use us. I'd love to see the Lord call many people to himself through Cornerstone. That has to start with prayer. Number two, we have to work with all the energy he gives us. So we can't just say all this stuff and then walk out and then come back next week and we'll do something, you know, whatever, and and we go on with normal life. We recognize we can't just go do all the things that need to happen today. It's just we're not there. We can't. Some of these things are things we need to be thinking about and, and planning for the future and looking ahead. But, but to the extent of the things we can do now, we need to do them. So y- you need to grow in truth today. You, you need to be serving and being in community today. You need to be living on mission today. This isn't for six months down the road or a year down the road when we unleash some great program, because that program is never coming. This is our ministry as believers in Jesus. We need to we need to work. Number three, we need to dream. And I don't mean that in a mystical, you know, Dr. Phyllis kind of way. I, again, I think some of you for the very first time have been, have been confronted with the realities that there's a lot more to this. Church is a lot more than Sunday. It's a lot more than Sunday. Some of you get that, but some of you just haven't yet. What do you see for Cornerstone 10 years from now? What would you love to stand before Jesus in the last day and say, Jesus, you put me in this body. You put me around these people. Here's the fruit. What do you want to offer him? Have you ever dreamed in that way? Envision that? I, we need to dream about these things and, and work toward them as much as we can, recognizing the Spirit has to empower, enable it. And then number four, we proclaim. We proclaim Christ, because all we have is him. That's all we have. We are not here trying to promote the name of Cornerstone. I don't care about Cornerstone in that sense. We're here to proclaim Jesus. And as we do that, we genuinely believe that God will take that message and he will change hearts and lives and he will draw many people to himself. We live in a mission field. Your neighbors are a mission field. Your coworkers are a mission field. They will die and go to hell if we don't proclaim. We are his body, folks. And we have been sitting here with a mission to now be his ambassador. 2 Corinthians 5, what, what 
Chris mentioned earlier, we are ambassadors entrusted with a ministry of reconciliation that God, through Jesus, is willing to reconcile men to himself. We don't want to stand before him one day and say, well, we kept the status quo. And it was very comfortable and we really liked life. We were very happy. No. We want to be risk takers, people promoting truth, preaching Christ above all else. And so that together, by God's grace, he can use us and we can be good stewards and give back to him what is his. We, we, we end by echoing the sentiment that I, I, I presented last week, Second Chronicles chapter 20. We don't know what to do. Very comforting words. We don't know what to do, but, but our eyes are on him. And so as we do that, we trust that he will lead us and guide us and use us for his glory. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we have plan B. And we do not claim that it is the best plan. We don't claim that it's the right one. In humility and in a sincere desire to serve you well and to be good stewards of what you're doing here around us for reasons that we still can't understand. We, we want to begin working and taking, taking concrete steps so that we can live our lives for you and give this thing that is cornerstone back to you someday full of fruit that you yourself have worked in it. All we can be are, are tools. That's it. We can be tools in your hands. You have to do this work. It's your message. You're the one who saves souls. You're the one who changes lives. But we want to be used. And so to the extent, Lord, that we can, will you use us with all of our sinfulness and our foolishness and our weakness? Will you use us? Will you bring glory to your name, not ours? Will you spread the name of Jesus throughout Hampton Roads, not the name of Cornerstone? All of these things we give to you because they are yours. We're not being some spiritual giants because we recognize that we should give this. This is just who we are. We're, we're nothing without you. You are all we have. And so we come with our hands wide open today saying, Lord, take it all. Take Cornerstone. Take each and every family that's a part of it all the people around us who are not yet a part of it, take us and use us to make more and more and more people like Jesus. That is our desire. Give us wisdom. We desperately need it. Guide our steps. Make, Please, Lord, make the path clear to us each step of the way. We don't want to run ahead of your plan, nor do we want to lag behind it. We want to be faithful and sensitive to your leading so that we can be used by you to the greatest extent possible. And in the end, Lord, when we all die and we stand before you and we give an account for the various ministries that have been entrusted to us, whether those are the souls around us at our workplaces and our neighborhoods, it's things that we've been connected to, involved in for the care of others. Help us, Lord, to have worked as hard in this life as we possibly could so that when we stand before you, we'll have no regrets. And we, we thank you, Lord, and we end with this that what regrets we will have, because we know there will be some, will be covered by the blood of Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who have been saved by his blood. And so we, we cling to that promise, but we ask that you help us work. Thank you, Jesus, for today and for all that this represents. And I pray that you will use us in the future. It's in your name we pray. Amen.